Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I think that I spent all f- four minutes between shows talking to Dr. Greg Allison because we couldn't couldn't stop it. But that was a very interesting hour. If you missed any of it, we talked about complementarity, which is a word that I was getting myself familiarized with today. And I'm going to have to go back and listen to it a second time myself because there was a lot in there. He's writing a book coming out. He's on a sabbatical now writing uh, his book. But... Very interesting uh, discussion in the church today about are you uh, a compliment? Are you, do you follow complementarianism or egalitarianism? So that was the topic, and we're going to shift our focus now to studying with uh, Jeff Verdorn on First Thessalonians chapter four. We've been in a series. I, I'm guessing this is episode number eight or nine. I've lost track. Jeff, welcome. Uh, well, uh, you, hello. Yeah. I, I think it's. I was think, trying to think. Is this seven, eight, nine? I think it's eight actually. So. Yeah, it's eight. I just got the word from Ryan. He knows everything. Perfect. Oh, yeah. sorry. Good. So, thank you. And uh, uh, I know you caught the hour as well, the hour on the drive-in. It was interesting. It was very interesting. I thought that was a, a reasoned and well-studied analysis of the two main views of the role of women uh, within the church and within the family, and I, I it was excellent. Yeah. Well, let's let's move to a less controversial topic today, and let's talk about the rapture. <laughs> Yeah, we are we are at that point where in First Thessalonians four in our study of First Thessalonians, where we are now at this one of the two core rapture verses in Scripture. So that's what we're going to cover today, and it is a little controversial. There's lots and lots of different views, uh, not only about eschatology and which is what don't throw es- out that big word. Sorry, it's, that's all right. It's kind of like egalitarian. What was that e- word? Egal egalitarian. What do you mean, complementarity? No, yeah, complementarity. Complementarity, yeah. That's a new word for me. Yeah. Um, eschatology is the study of last things. So it's the it's the study of God's plan for the end of the age. He has uh, a plan. Right now we're in this church age, and one day this age is going to come to an end, and a new age is going to be ushered in, the millennial or the kingdom age. And eschatology is the study of all those future prophecies that are going to come upon the world. Now, would most people agree that we're in what you described as the church age? Or is most. that another uh, view that some people have and others don't? Yeah, most Christians would agree that we're in a uh, in the church age. One area of debate is whether or not we are in the kingdom now or whether the kingdom is yet future. So some Christians believe that when Jesus went up to heaven in Acts chapter 1, even though the disciples asked him, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, he actually doesn't answer that question. He says, you will receive power on the Holy Spirit uh, when he comes, and he then goes up to heaven. Some Christians believe that the kingdom started right then and there. Um, I think Scripture indicates that we are now in this age of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the church age, the church and this church age one day is going to come to an end, and Jesus is going to come back to earth, Revelation 19, and establish his kingdom, Revelation 20, for a thousand years. And that kingdom on earth is the future 
kingdom that will come. Now, clearly, we're participants in the kingdom of God today through faith in Jesus Christ, right? We are ambassadors from that kingdom. We are strangers and aliens in this world today, uh, but we are definitely participants in the kingdom. We are supposed to spread the kingdom and the good news of the kingdom and advance the kingdom in this world, making more and more ambassadors, mm-hmm. if you will, participants in the kingdom. But there is a day that's yet coming. That's why we pray, by the way, in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Scripture is full of descriptions that Jesus's future kingdom will be on earth physically. Um, I guess the last thing I, I often say in my classes on this is open up the newspaper right now. If this is the kingdom of God, um, boy, it's sure not looking very good. Now, is it? Um, there is a kingdom yet to come when scripture says things like the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Israel will live in peace and safety. If a man dies before a hundred, he'll be considered accursed. Um, and uh, and Christ will rule and reign f- on his mountain from his holy hill, mm-hmm. from a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, and uh, we will rule and reign with him. Uh, I don't see that yet. Yeah, and if we're in the age of the church, a couple of other items is the church will be at one point raptured, and at another point will return with Jesus for the, the second coming. Correct. So we and are very much a part of this. Absolutely. As we study eschatology. Yeah, which is the study another, of end times. Another big word. Yeah. Don't make me spell it. <laughs> it's a hard one. It is not an easy. Ryan could probably spell so, it. But it's, look, as we as we enter into this part of First Thessalonians 4 and we cover this thing called the rapture, and we'll talk about the different views today. We'll talk about the reasons why uh, the, the conclusions that we can make about the timing of the rapture, we can make those from Scripture, and, and we'll look at what the rapture looks like. But, you know, to start, we should recognize there are many views on this. I mean, even about the kingdom, there are some that believe Jesus has to return prior to establishing his kingdom. That's generally called pre-millennialism or before the millennium, Jesus returns at his second coming. There are some that believe he returns at the end of a millennium, meaning we as the church are responsible for ushering in the kingdom, making things good enough for Jesus to return, I think he returns and makes things good when he, he comes back to earth. There are even those who believe in Christianity uh, that there is no millennial kingdom. Ah, millennialism is, is in, in the Latin is, means no millennium or no thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. They're generally the same ones that believe we're in the kingdom right now, even though it's lasted 2,000 years. The thousand years is not a specific time period, and there's no future earthly kingdom. We're in it right now. And then there's another fun group of people. I call them pan-millennialists. And these pan-millennialists just don't understand anything about the end times and just say, it will all pan out in the end. Right? <laughs> and so, because this this is hard, right? Yeah, it is hard. Future things I describe is like a puzzle. And there's lots of different pieces to this puzzle all over scripture, Old Testament and New and we have to reconcile so many passages yeah. to paint a proper picture of God's plan for the end you know, of the age. Yeah, given today's topics, Jeff, what I didn't do is schedule a nap between hour one and hour two. <laughs> a little break, a Just little mind a little rest. Just a 20-minute nap, but I didn't schedule that, so well, now we're back into it. Now, this can be deep. It can be detailed, but but it's also so much fun and so exciting to think that there's a day coming where we're going to be caught up. We're going to read the passage in a minute here. 
There's a future day when the church is going to be caught up to heaven, just like Jesus was caught up in Act chapter 1. Good. I've got a little tidbit for you later, time permitting, but let's get into the, the what we're going to talk about today. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to read, with your permission, Jeff, verses 13 to 18. Perfect. All right. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we will tell that you who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Wow, that sounds like really good news. Yeah, it does to me too. Uh, This is commonly called the rapture. It's one of the core rapture passages in Scripture. And it it is really good news, and it it is the hope that the church has. Now, let's... Whatever you think about the end times, whatever you think about eschatology, and whatever your views concerning this event, this passage called the rapture, you have to do something with this passage. This passage describes that the church is going to be caught up together with the dead in Christ, and we are going to meet the Lord in the air. And that's what theologians call the rapture. So whatever your view of the end times, you got to deal with this passage. I think this describes something called the rapture. Theologians call it the rapture. Where do we get the name of the rapture? Well, that's a, let's start there. In verse 17, it says, we who are still alive and are left. In English, it says caught up. Some versions might say snatched away, caught up or snatched away. In the Greek, that Greek word is harpazo. So we don't get the term rapture from that word. But in the Latin, and many Christians studied the Word of God in Latin for centuries, that Latin word for caught up or hapazo is the Latin word repturo, and that is where we get the word rapture. Mm -hmm. So you can call it the harpazo, you can call it the repturo or the rapture or the, the day we are caught up together with him in the clouds. You can call it any day you want, but generally speaking, theologians have decided and concluded we're going to call this event in this passage The rapture. All right. All right. Very helpful. So next, let's look at the two groups of people that are described in this passage. So the first group of people are the dead in Christ, and they rise first. And then the second group of people are those who are alive and left. Well, the dead in Christ, who are those? Those are Christians who have died, previously died, that were in faith, they were born again, they were believers, and they have died and gone to heaven, and they are in heaven today, right now. Those are saints in the presence of the Lord. Correct. Okay. We know that when a Christian dies from elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul describes, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that when we are absent from the body, when we die, and the immaterial part of us, our soul and spirit, are separated from our physical body, 
Our physical body returns to the dust from which it came, but what makes us us, this, the soul and spirit, is immediately in the presence of the Lord. So Paul says, at home with the Lord, absent from the body, at home with the Lord. So we know that the moment we are separated from our physical body, Christians, born-again believers, are at home with the Lord. So where are the dead in Christ? They are in heaven. This is very important because we are going to look in detail here in a couple minutes about this word rise. The dead in Christ rise first. Mm. Now, the picture that most of us get of the dead rising is our minds immediately go to the grave. And and we, we see them coming out of the tomb, don't we? We do. Yeah. And if you look at some Christian art over the decades and over the centuries, it's often depicted as people, the dead in Christ, coming up out of their graves because this word rise. Mm-hmm. And we see it as coming up from the ground, rising yeah. up from the ground. Yeah. But we just described, where are the dead in Christ? They're in the presence of the Lord. They're in heaven, yeah. in the presence of the Lord. All right, let's take a short break uh, when we come back, Jeff, because we've got the, we got a good cliffhanger going right now. We do. I think people want to hear more about okay. The, the dead in Christ will rise first. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're in our series of 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 4 today. And then we will take a short break and be right back. If you have a question or comment, you know it's always welcome. 877-933-2484. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. All right, I'm back with Jeff Redorn. We're continuing our study, and let's get our Bibles out. Open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're in episode number 8 of our study. We've got a ways to go, which is going to be exciting, but... All right, Jeff. Um, we we're talking about the dead in the dead in Christ will rise first, and we all have an v- image of these people emerging from their mm-hmm. graves. Their, we do, and yeah. it's a common. It's it's just how we think of it. But we we already talked right before the break that the dead in Christ are in heaven. So we need to decide. Well, if if rising doesn't mean rising up out of the dirt, out of the grave, and they're in heaven, what does the word rise? Then mean well. In order to look at that, we need to look at the other core passage concerning the rapture, and that's found in First Corinthians fifteen. And I'm going to read fifty-one and fifty-two. First Corinthians fifteen, by the way, is all about the resurrection of the body, and it's it's in fact many theologians call it the resurrection chapter. So much of this chapter, and we'll look at a couple passages here today about the resurrection chapter. So in first fifty-one, it says this: Listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Paul saying that we will not all die. This is the mystery. But we will all be changed. 
Now, this changed is a key word here. What does this mean? We will all be changed. He then continues, 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. There's that description of the dead in Christ being of rising or being raised. The dead will be raised imperishable and we, those who are alive and remain, will be changed. So what does changed mean? What does this rising mean? And what specifically happens in the twinkling of an eye? Well, if you go up a little bit earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this if in, in verse 13, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. The question that Paul was responding to was, well, if there's a future resurrection, what about those who have already died? What's going to happen to them? And Paul is basically reassuring them, don't worry, they will receive a new glorified body as well. So he says uh, that then if there's no resurrection, then Christ has not even been raised from the dead. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so so is your faith. Paul is saying if there's no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised, and there's no Christianity because all of Christianity is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But since he's been raised, we also will be raised. Verse 20, but if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died, but each in his own turn, Christ first, he's called the first fruits, then when he comes at the rapture, those who belong to him, both the dead in Christ and those who are alive and remain. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? All right, so here we've just linked the idea of rising or being raised or our resurrection with receiving the new body. 1 Corinthians 15 then later says, so will it be at the resurrection of the dead. The body that was sown perishable will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It will be raised a spiritual body. And just as we've borne the likeness of the earthly man, that's Adam, by the way, we all bear the likeness of Adam, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That's Christ in his glorified body. So we now know and have just made the case that rising or being raised is equal to or means the resurrection, and that resurrection is being changed from our earthly body to our glorified body. Mm -hmm. So what does rising mean? Rising means receiving our glorified bodies. And, and this is a body, this is the body that you will dwell in for all of eternity because God says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, mm-hmm. but a new glorified body can. can. Yeah. And that's what God has promised his believers. So the rising in Christ is the transformation from your presence in heaven with the Lord to the glorified body you're going to live in forever. Correct. In the new heaven and new earth. Yes. So it has nothing to do with the old physical body in the grave. Okay. It has everything to do with receiving the new glorified 
resurrected body that God has in mm-hmm. store for each one of us. So what condition is the soul in in heaven right now if a non-glorified body can't be there? This Well, it's not that it can't, it's just that we haven't received it yet. Okay. Uh, the dead in Christ and those who are alive will receive our glorified bodies on this day, this rapture day, it's resurrection day. Mm-hmm. So what does a spirit, what does a soul look like? Well, I've never seen one, so I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Some theologians will will say that the soul cannot be without a body and that there must be some kind of intermediate body that the dead in Christ have right now in heaven. I don't see that in Scripture anywhere. I see two bodies described. I see our earthly body that we are in today, and I see a description of our resurrected body. We just went through those descriptions in 1 Corinthians 15, I do not see an intermediate state. I have no issues with a soul existing in heaven without a physical body. God is spirit, mm-hmm. right? God doesn't have a physical body. It says God is spirit. So I have I don't have any issues with our, our soul existing in heaven. In fact, I think we will, it will be more real in heaven Without this earth tent of our body, Paul and Peter described this body as an earth tent. Mm-hmm. And once we're freed from this physical limitations and existence, and we're we're now just in our soul in heaven, we we will be it will be more real than any day that we walked on the face mm-hmm. of the earth. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're continuing our study in First Thessalonians. We're in chapter four. Here's a question, Jeff: If the dead in Christ receive their resurrected bodies in heaven. Doesn't this destroy the continuity between physical and spiritual? It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body, and the it is the same. Are we saying that Jesus' body is not the same one that was crucified and bore wounds for Thomas to see? Wow, there's a lot there. Yeah, there is. Um, Yes, it's called a spiritual body, but don't forget that our new glorified body is physical. It's tangible. It's different than our current physical body. But when Jesus rose from the grave, and this is the only example we have, right? He's the only one that has a glorified body. But he appeared to people. People touched him. He ate with them. Mm -hmm. He ate fish, yet he appeared in a locked room. He disappeared from the two men on the road to Emmaus. And as we'll talk about, he rose up to heaven bodily, physically and visibly up to heaven. But he, he walked the earth. He had a physical existence. Remember when he appeared... To the disciples, they thought maybe they were seeing a ghost. And he says, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's me. It's me. Yeah. Right? I'm flesh and, and bone. I, 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 he had a, the glorified body is an actual physical body. It's not a, it, it's not a, a, what am I, a spiritual body in the sense that it doesn't have any material essence to it. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, it, our glorified bodies can exist in heaven because Christ is glorified. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. So clearly, when we go up to heaven in our glorified bodies at the rapture, we will be in heaven mm-hmm. for seven years during the tribulation, as we will see. Yeah, well, we always study every day to, to approve ourselves uh, to God to be um, people that can rightly divide the word of truth. And we're going to continue to try to always be doing that every day on the show. And if you feel like you're close to God, that's amazing. And I love that. And if you want to uh, get a word on even... A word of encouragement from our own Susie Larson. You can text the word closer and do that right now if you want to 877-933-2484. And you can hear directly from Susie when you text 
Again, the word closer, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Jeff Ferdorn, we're in his series on First Thessalonians, and <laughs> we're stirring the pot a little bit today, Jeff. Oh, I love the rapture. Uh, uh, yeah, I know a, that there's different views. There but. is a lot of different views, yeah. I, I'm getting some amazing comments, too. Some are long, <laughs> and I have to read them in advance of reading them on the air. Gotcha. So if I, act as, if I sound distracted, I am a little bit. Reading. Just a little. Okay. Yeah, because that's part of the job. Well, let's pick up, because what we were doing was talking about the word rise, and that rise means the resurrection, the time that we will receive our glorified bodies. Remember, Christ is the only one so far that has received their glorified body. But the New Testament is actually full of promises that just as Christ, who was the first fruits, received his glorified bodies, so too we will one day be glorified. So Romans 6, 5, for example, says we will be united with him in his resurrection. Romans 8, 29 says that he has predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. I think that's a passage about our future glorification. Philippians 3, 21 says that he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Um. First John 3, 2, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. I think that's the re- a reference to the rapture and our glorification. We will be glorified just as he is. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The promise of our resurrection, the promise of our future glorification is one of the the most significant promises in all of Scripture. We will put off this earth tent, this physical earthly body that is wasting away, by the way, and I think we all know that. Well, maybe if you're in your 20s, you don't know that, but trust me, this body is wasting away, and it will return to the dust of the ground. But God has in store for every believer a new glorified body, and it's on the rapture day that we receive that new glorified body, whether or not you are dead in Christ or alive and remain. So let's get back to those two groups of people, right? Okay. So 1 Thessalonians 4, it says the dead in Christ will rise first. That means the dead in Christ will receive their glorified bodies first. Then we who are alive and remain, 1 Thessalonians 4, but we're now we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians 15, we will be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye into our glorified bodies and then back to 1 Thessalonians 4 and then we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds and there we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, 
So then all the church will then be glorified and have received their glorified bodies. Now, I think one of the things that's happened over the years is that theologians have combined this 1 Thessalonians 4 passage about being caught up and the 1 Corinthians 15 passage on the rapture talking about our being changed in the twinkling of an eye and have painted a picture that the rapture happens in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. It's, it's often pictured, the rapture is, that there's this great disappearance, that poof, we're gone, in the twinkling of an eye, and suddenly we're just all gone. That's actually not what 1 Corinthians 15 says. It says in, in Corinthians that we are changed in the twinkling of an eye. That is specifically what happens in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. And when you think about it, that makes sense. It would be very hard to imagine a an earthly body being glorified slowly, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, there go my arms. You know, oh, there go my legs. Yeah, you know, my hair's back. Yeah, my hair's back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it just doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. But if we're glorified in an instant, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. That does not describe, however... The, the timing of our being caught up to heaven. In other words, our rapture, our being caught up. So that begs the question, well, if we just don't disappear, like is often portrayed about the rapture, what does the rapture look like? Well, I love this because we actually have a, a, an example of a rapture. In Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read it in a minute. Maybe you could turn there and maybe you could read it for us. In Acts chapter 1, I was talking about this earlier, Jesus is caught up to heaven. He is raptured up to heaven. In fact, Revelation 12 verse 5 says and describes this event in Acts chapter 1 as Jesus' rapture, the Greek harpazo. Same Greek word that's used for our rapture is used to describe Jesus being caught up to heaven in Acts chapter 1. Shall I read it? Yeah, let's start. I'm going to start at 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Keep going. Read one, two more. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So what's the picture? If you're standing there, you are going you're talking with Jesus one moment and suddenly he is going up into the clouds and you're watching him rise up into heaven bodily physically visibly so that when he gets to a certain altitude however high the clouds were he's actually hid by the clouds and he then disappears and he's gone and the the men are still looking up into the sky, watching this event. When the angels come to him and say, "You know, what are you looking at?" This, <laughs> this is one of these questions. I'm going to have to ask these angels. It's like, well, what do you mean? What are you looking at? Jesus just went up to heaven. <laughs> Didn't you see that? I've never seen that before. Yeah. 
it would have been an event that they would have never seen before, a man, even a glorified man, rising up to heaven. Remember, Jesus was had risen from the grave 40 days earlier and had been walking on earth with them for 40 days. And now on the Mount of Olives, talking to his disciples, he is caught up to heaven. And like I mentioned in Revelation chapter 12, this event is called Jesus's rapture, his yeah. harpazo. Yeah. He's caught up to heaven. And his rising up could not have been cartoon fast because they watched him ascend. Correct. So they were, whoa, they were able to witness it. They watched him they rise watched. up and hid by the clouds. Yeah. By the way, one important point here, and this is so amazing. The same place where Jesus rose up to heaven in Acts chapter 1 on the Mount of Olives is exactly the place that Scripture says he will return at the second coming when his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So just as the angel said, the same Jesus that's been taking, taken from you to heaven will come back in the same way. And that's a reference to Jesus's second coming. Mm-hmm. And so, can I just say this one more time, Jeff Redorn? First uh, Thessalonians four eighteen. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Oh. I don't know if you don't feel encouraged by this teaching of what uh, Paul is saying in First Thessalonians about the return of Jesus and and the gathering of the saints and the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are left will be caught up together with him. If these words don't encourage you, mm, what else can we say? <laughs> it is when when. The New Testament talks about this day, and it's actually mentioned a lot more than just the two places that we've mentioned here today. Uh, It's always in a sense of great encouragement to us as believers. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, So the rapture timing does not happen in the twinkling of an eye. Our resurrection, our being changed, happens in the twinkling of an eye. And yet it's commonly depicted, this rapture event, as as a great disappearance. People disappear suddenly. Uh, someone's driving a car and they just disappear and the car careams out of control. I don't know if you saw the Left Behind movies, but, you know, planes crashed and cars crashed. And uh, some even say that, that when a person is raptured, their clothing will come to the ground folded mm. and will be folded on the ground. And it's like, well, where did they get that? And, well, if you recall, when Jesus rose from the dead... It says that his burial cloth, the one wrapped around his head, was folded and laid there. Right. Well, it didn't fold itself miraculously Miraculously, when he was resurrected. He rose bodily, physically. How did it get folded? Jesus folded it. That's how it got folded. So our clothes aren't going to miraculously fold and, and fall to the ground in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's just not, I don't see that in scripture. So um, sometimes also, by the way, the... Teach, some theologians will teach the rapture as if the world will not recognize that the rapture is, has even happened. It will somehow be a secret and that the world will just go on without us like we were never here. I would, uh, and this is sometimes called a secret rapture in some way, I would say that's an unbiblical idea as well. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I think the world will see us rise up to heaven just as the disciples saw Christ rise up to heaven. So let me repeat that. I think the world, now they won't understand, remember there's the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God that will call us up. And I don't think the world will 
understand what's happening. It's kind of like Paul. Remember when Paul heard the voice from heaven? He understood the voice, but he, he, he says in Acts that those around me heard a noise, but they didn't understand what the voice was saying. I think it's going to be like that at the rapture. They're going to know something's happening. They might even hear a sound or a noise, but they won't understand. And obviously, they're not going to be caught up. But we will, but they should see or they will see the church rise up to heaven just as Jesus rose up to heaven in Acts chapter 1. And it's, it's similar to the Old Testament pictures. We actually have two raptures in the Old Testament. I'll just talk about one. Remember, Elijah was caught up to heaven. Now, he wasn't glorified, but he was caught up to heaven in a fiery chariot. And the 500 or so people that were with him that day saw him go up to heaven. And I actually think Scripture indicates that our rapture will be the same way. We will go up to heaven just like Jesus in Acts chapter 1, bodily, physically, and visibly up to heaven. And the world will see that. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll come back, continue our discussion in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with Jeff Verdorn. Some great questions and points have come in. Thank you so much. We're going to try to get to them, but we're going to may not get to all of them. So thank you, though. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. I'm back with Jeff Verdorn. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we are starting to talk about the rapture, and we're we're going to cover this in the next couple of sessions. We're not done today. I think <laughs> we're going to have to. Yeah. yeah. So here's a question. If we view the rapture as something that happens after the tribulation, will we prepare differently? Will we teach our children and grandchildren differently? I tend to think we will if we take that viewpoint. We'll teach our children to have an enduring Christian faith no matter what happens. But at the end of the day, I'm a pan-trib believer no matter when the rapture happens, it all pans out in the end. <laughs> I like that. Um, yes, we should teach our children and our grandchildren to have that enduring faith uh, that the question mentions. Of course we should. And because we don't know what tomorrow holds, right? In this world, we will have trouble. And Christians have been persecuted. We've had it fairly easy in the United States of America over the last 250 years. We haven't experienced the kind of persecution and tribulation that many Christians around the world have experienced over the last 2,000 years. But of course, we should teach our children to have an enduring faith no matter what happens. Now, specifically, the question says, uh, and to prepare for the tribulation uh, in case— the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. Let me just make this point now. We'll talk about this more in the next episode. There is a big difference between Christians going through trials and tribulations and Christians going through the tribulation, which is the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. 
I would argue, and we will see, that Christians are not appointed to suffer wrath. We don't experience the wrath of God, and the the wrath of God in what's called commonly the tribulation, which it's actually never called that anywhere in Scripture. It's called a great distress, the time of Jacob's trouble. It's called Daniel's 70th seven of judgment. Uh, it's a time of, of judgment for Israel. It's called a lot of things. It's actually never called the tribulation, even though we call it the tribulation. Christians are destined for trials and tribulations, just as Jesus said, but we're not destined for the tribulation, the wrath of God. So there's a key distinction. But absolutely, we should teach our kids and our grandkids to have that strong, enduring faith no matter what happens. Because that whatever happens, just like the passage on the armor of God, mm-hmm. so when the day of evil comes, you will be able to take your stand and after you've done everything, to stand. All right. All right, Jeff. We've got uh, 10 minutes left. Well, since this question kind of brought up the idea of a post-trib rapture, let's let's spend our last time and talk about some of the different views. And then next time, I think we'll get into the biblical reasons why I've concluded that the rapture is going to happen prior to the tribulation that is to come. And we'll, we'll save that for all next time. But so first, the rapture is the next event on God's prophetic calendar. This is Resurrection Day. And so if you have a pre-tribulation view of the rapture, the rapture is going to happen prior to the tribulation that is to come. Remember, the tribulation is this seven-year period that's coming upon the world, just as I was describing. There are those who believe in a mid-tribulation rapture, that the rapture will happen at the middle of the tribulation. This generally, they say, coincides with what's... uh, the, the last trumpet, and they equate the last trumpet of the rapture to the last trumpet of the seven trumpets in the book of Revelation, and therefore they place the rapture around the middle of the tribulation period. Um, post-tribulation rapture, or post-trib folks, believe that the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. And as the that, that question kind of hinted, that the church would therefore go through all seven years of the tribulation and not be raptured until the very end. Um, And next time we'll get into some of the issues and problems with that. But one of the key things, I think, is that there's a big difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. And very briefly, at the rapture, Jesus comes for his own. At the second coming... Jesus comes with his own. At the rapture, we, the church, are going from earth up to heaven. We are caught up together with them in the clouds. At the second coming, we are coming down to earth. The church is returning with Jesus. Correct. The armies of heaven were following him, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So one of the big differences is just the simple direction of travel. At the rapture, we're going up to heaven. At the second coming, we're coming down from heaven. At the rapture, there's no mention of wrath, but at the second coming, it's described as Jesus treading the winepress of the wrath of God. At the rapture, Israel is not mentioned because it doesn't pertain to Israel. At the second coming, Israel is saved. At the rapture, the tribulation begins. At the, after the second coming, Jesus establishes millennial kingdom. At the rapture, the Antichrist is revealed— and at the second coming, the 
the the the dragon, the beast, Satan, and the the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're all thrown away. They're they're captured and they're taken away. So that's a key difference. And at the rapture, it says he comes as a thief in the night. And at the second coming, it says in Scripture, that event will be visible to the whole world. Just as lightning in the east is visible from the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Nobody on the face of the earth is going to miss that day. Wouldn't both events, though, be unmistakable? They would be unmistakable. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the second one. Yeah. So, in fact, so unmistakable that there are many people that have tried to claim that they are the return to Christ over the last hundreds of years. It's I don't know how anybody would ever believe them because you read Scripture, that is a day that's going to be like no other like, day. Yeah, it's no other day. In fact, it's going to be such a day that when Jesus comes back from heaven and his feet set on the Mount of Olives, he says the earth is going to shake like it's never shaked before. So significant will be this earthquake be. Ezekiel says that every wall will fall to the ground and every mountain and island will be moved, removed from its place. That's that day. And that day has not happened yet. So therefore, Jesus hasn't returned. It's yet future. Hmm. Thank you for that. That's really informative. So those are the different views. By the way, there are many different denominations that don't believe in a rapture at all. Many uh, uh, the Roman Catholic Church uh, does not have a teaching on the rapture of the of the church. Some believe in a partial rapture that some believers will be raptured. The the calm the faithful and the ones that aren't faithful will not be raptured. Um, look, the key to the rapture is is that he's going to call home his own. And Jesus' very promise said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will surely come back and take you to be where I am also. So that's where he's going to go and prepare a place in his father's house. And John 14 says he's going to go and then he's going to come back and he's going to take us there. That's actually a description of the rapture. It's the first reference to the rapture in the New Testament. Really good. Jeff Redorn's my guest as we are talking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if you missed any of this, it's been a great hour. I find this to be such encouraging news, just like Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Um, so you, thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. You know, was, a lot of people will ask in my class that, well, if it doesn't matter, Shouldn't we just, can't we just take the, the approach of the question earlier that it's all going to pan out? Does it really matter? And one, I think it, it matters in this sense. We always want to handle the word accurately, right? We want to understand it properly. Mm-hmm. God has given us a lot of information about this plan of his for the end of the age. And when we study it, we understand it, we get to know him better. We get to know the planner better. We understand God's plan affects how we understand God, in other words. Um, Does the church go through the wrath? Are we destined to face the wrath of God or not? I think that's a significant issue to truly understand. Is the church under God's wrath or isn't it? Um, Also, Paul taught about this. For we know very well that the day of the Lord will come by, by like a thief. Don't you remember that I used to tell you these things, Paul says? So Paul taught these things. He saw them as re- important, and I think we should see them as important. First uh, Thessalonians 4, it says that the Lord himself spoke of these events. Um, so yes, and finally, as you just described, this truth is such 
a uh, a source source of encouragement for the truth, or, or, or you know, for our future and the rapture of the church. So it is, it's a, uh, it, it it is a big. It, it, is it important? Look, it will all pan out in the end. But we want to understand Scripture properly and accurately. And and when you understand that God is going to come back in the person of Jesus for His bride and take Him to be where He is also, uh, which is something we'll do next time as well. The 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 imagery that Jesus presents in that he's going away and coming back and taking us, the bride, to be with him matches the first century view of the the betrothal of a bride and a groom and the groom leaving, going away to his father's house, and that at an, at an unannounced time coming back for his bride and taking him to his father's house. Mm-hmm. All right, Jeff, this has been a great study once again. We'll do this uh, episode nine next time we gather Perfect. here in the studio. Been kind of an interesting day, a little bit of a, a couple of challenging topics that we dealt with today, and I don't know what kind of day you've had, so let me close out our time today in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you hear us and that you answer our prayer. Thank you that you're merciful, you save us, you redeem us, and you protect us, especially when we're in the middle of a battle, when we've got something that we're struggling with, And thank you that we can come to you with our burdens and that you will sustain us because you are trustworthy and faithful. Mm. I pray for everyone today who's got something on their plate that's making them nervous and insecure or fearful. I pray that the Holy Spirit will come and speak truth into that situation and that we can all, uh, when we go to bed tonight, just be rest assured that God has this in his loving, kind, gentle hands and that he uh, loves you and cares about your situation and every detail of your life. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Have a great night, everyone. Looking forward to uh, tomorrow and I'm looking forward to spending time once again with you. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.